I have seen a growing trend in the field. I've been a BCBA for 12 years. And the way that BCBAs used to operate is more of a consultative model, where a, a consult would be with a private BCBA coming into a school district. But as the field has grown and as the need has grown, a lot of school districts are hiring their own board certified behavior analysts. And I think with that comes a lot of dialogue and different things that come up when somebody is coming in as a consultant versus when somebody is an employee in the district. There's definitely a different culture and feel there. I had a wonderful conversation today with Dr. Bruce Tenor. We talk all about school-based BCBAs, and he is really a breath of fresh air. Very, very kind. We connected over on LinkedIn, I think a year ago. So we've been chatting, and it was really nice to have him on the podcast. He really has a wealth of experience. He currently is serving as the building principal at the Career and Child Development Center within the Chester County Intermediate Unit 24 in Pennsylvania. And his passion lies in the philosophical and scientific foundations of applied behavior analysis, staff training, ethical decision-making, interdisciplinary collaboration, and helping students reduce maladaptive behaviors and improve their overall quality of life. And why I really love having this conversation is that he has worked in public schools and public education. And I have been in the realm of public education for the past 20 years. And we can do such great help. We can support so many in this field. He started as a teacher, went on to become a BCBA, did a lot of coursework in leadership, and is really helping the lives of so many, not only students, but staff as well. I think that you will really enjoy this conversation about school-based BCBAs. Make sure that if you enjoy the podcast, that you leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. Let me know, do you love this topic? Do you want to hear about something else? It always warms my heart to read all of your reviews. Without further ado, let's listen to this conversation. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Welcome to the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have a great show for you today. We have with us Dr. Bruce Tenor. Thank you so much for joining us, Bruce. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Blessed to be on. And I know that we connected over on LinkedIn. I talk about social media a lot here on the show because it's a big part of my life. I, some days I'm like very happy about that and some days I'm not. Um, but LinkedIn, if you are in the field of ABA, LinkedIn is such an amazing place to connect with fellow BCBAs. And I think we just, I don't know if we were in the same network or I think maybe you did a talk and I messaged you and we kind of mm -hmm. dialogue back and forth through Messenger. And it's just a really nice place to meet other people who are also um, in the field. I feel like it's a nice professional, it is social media still, but it is a nice more professional, I feel like, social media space, especially for people who are BCBAs. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and your journey into the field, how you got into, into this field. Sure. Um, I started off as a school teacher, a special education school teacher in, um, in Pennsylvania. For, um, I went to school for special education. My uh, background when I was in college was in early childhood. So uh, then I ended up going to New Jersey 
um, where for, I taught for 10 years and in the background was early childhood. So I taught preschool, um, kindergarten, I uh, did second grade as well too. And so I was a special education teacher. So I had my own classroom, um, self-contained. I also did general, general education. So I was, um, when I was teaching, obviously I was exposed to um, applied behavioral analysis because my first year teach, uh, first three years teaching when I went to New Jersey was in a verbal behavior classroom, so to speak. Um, uh, we had students with autism in there. Um, yeah. You graduate, you know, you heard about autism and you learn a little bit about it, but it's different when you're in a classroom, how to work with that. So we did uh, go out there and um, got training um, on the verbal behavior. That's when I was first introduced to that. So then we're working with kids and doing discrete trial with the students, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, in, in the classroom. And then from there, uh, I was more interested in you know, working with the population with children with autism. Yeah. I was more interested in like, what, what else can I do to enhance my skills? Because when you're obviously in a classroom, um, whether you're in general education, obviously the science of applied behavioral analysis uh, cuts across all um, disabilities, culture, race, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. But when you're working with autism, there is a specific skill repertoire that you need to really work with um, students for uh, instruction. So I, that's when I kind of like was inquiring about being a BCBA. Uh, from there, it kind of led me into um, work with like lead, leadership and everything. So from there, I uh, went to a school uh, for leadership and then first or secondary education uh, for principalship. And then from there, and going into um, uh, a program at, at, well, I think I have to talk for 10 years. I went to a program for working with students with autism. And it was, a, it's called the Colonial Intermediate Unit in Pennsylvania with Intermediate Units, which are service agencies. And those service agencies of service students in a um, in either a center base or in a school base. And my position was supervisor of special education for autistic support elementary. So we had approximately almost 300 kids um, in different schools that I had to go out there and provide support. So from there, um, although I went and inquired about the BCBA, I was looking to classes when I got that position. I said, you know what? I think it's now time to go out there and, and get your BCBA. And it's kind of led mm -hmm. me to the field about applied behavioral analysis. And she said, okay, now I got to really go out there. You know, as a teacher, yes, but I was around and I was getting trained, but now as a supervisor yeah. and training staff, supporting staff, mm -hmm. understanding it more in depthly. Uh, and I think it's just better for representation saying, hey, this, this individual who's an administrator is a behavior analyst working with this population. I, thought, I just felt like it just was was an opportunity for me to go out there and pursue that. So that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, your path is very interesting. And I really like that. I, you know, I'm a speech therapist in a BCBA and I have worked, my parents are both retired educators. Um, and I have worked in a public school in some capacity, um, not full time since I've had kids, but I'm working two days a week now in my own kids district and running my business because I just really like, I like the feel of being in a public school. So do you come from a, a history of educators or do you seem like passionate about the public school? Because that's kind of seems like it's been a big part of your career. Is that just where you feel at home professionally? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my whole professional career was in public education. It kind of Honestly, I wasn't looking into uh, what sector as far as public or private. You know, I originally went to school um, for criminal justice um, until one of my football coaches said, hey, would you, he, he uses terminology, he said, if you, would you rather catch students early or, or later? And I was yeah. like, well, like, well, would you rather work with the kids when they're younger to really make it more of an impact? Or do you want to be running the streets and 
you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's kind of true. I'd rather explain <laughs> to me, you can even want to coach. You know, the perks, some perks of obviously uh, being in teacher, so um, yeah. in the teaching profession. So that kind of led me to that. And um, and I was, and ever since then, I was always in the public sector. I, I never really looked into like the private sector or, or yeah. anything. That's how I fell into it. So no, I don't come from a, parent, a family of educators, although education was very valued in our home. It was yeah. something that, you know, it was required. That's, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and some good things for yourself, but um, no, not from a family educator. It's just value the value of education. Okay, okay, I love that. Um, because I, I stepped away last year and I just did ABA speech, and I have three kids, you know, so I'm, my life is really busy. But um, I just kind of missed. I missed the therapy. I missed being part of a team and and all that. So curious about that. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. I feel like there are, you know, I've been duly certified. I've been certified as a BCBA twelve years. So I know when I first started, it seemed like BCBAs were all working private, or they were going into public schools and they were consulting when things were too far gone, or things are going really, really bad. But now there's definitely a trend. And I feel like there's a lot of dialogue about BCBAs that are employed by districts. And so I, that's what, it, with your public school background, I wanted to talk with you about that today. And what what do you think are some of the benefits of a school district employing its own BCBA? Well, you're going to have an individual dedicated to your organization or into your school district. I think it's the biggest one. So you have an individual who, if, if hired, um, they are able to um, support your leadership and support the vision and the mission of leadership. Because uh, the reason why you hire a BCBA is for one reason, one reason only, problem behaviors, right? It's not about, you know, um, curriculum because you'd hire a supervisor of curriculum for that because there's, you know, you're going to have, it, no matter what district you're in, there's going to be a slew of students who has some maladaptive behaviors that needs to be addressed. Um, so the biggest thing, I think the benefit is just really having a go-to individual that is really assigned to your district or to a certain faction of your of, of programs either to really provide consultation, technical assistance, um, and, and providing um, quality, effective instructional practices to make sure that the program is running efficiently. Yeah. And I, I definitely have seen that as a trend in all the different conferences I go to. I, I know that you go to a lot of conferences too. People are definitely talking about the specific needs of BCBAs that are employees of a district. I feel like there's just like a very, it's a very different kind of role versus being a consultant and coming in. You don't really get to see everything. And, you know, like I've been in those roles too, where it's like you come in, you assess, you make a plan, you nurture the plan, and maybe you're seeing the highlight reel. I feel like when you're an employee, you kind of get the good, the bad, the ugly, you're like, oh, this person isn't going to do that. And, the, you know, you kind of have some more ideas floating around in your brain. Um, but I think it's something that people are talking about. So if a BCBA now, where I where I live is a very small suburb of Cleveland, okay? It's like kind of, I would think it would, the rest of the world would consider it like, sometimes I talk, I say it's Mayberry. It's like a very small, like I work out here, I live here, I work here. I, you know, it's like one of those. It's not like a metropolitan area, like when I lived in Austin. Um, we do have one BCBA. And I think that can be really, I think it's great to have your own BCBA, but I think it's probably overwhelming because there's probably so much that, feels like it needs to be done. So if a BCBA is working as the only BCBA in a district, which number one can just, I think, feel isolating because sometimes rural districts here in Ohio will have one speech therapist who does like pre-K to 12 if it's a really small district. And so you don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of. But if somebody is the only BCBA in a district, what systems should they put into place to be effective 
kind of in a, a holistic sense and so they don't get burned out. So before I answer your question, let me just say a couple of things. One, I think the first step of a school district um, hiring a BCBA is the right step. However, it is an extremely daunting task, regardless of the size of your school district. Now, obviously, the bigger the school district um, and you have one BCBA, you're minimizing uh, the skill repertoire of a behavioralist. So I, I think that's number one is, it, it although the right step, a very challenging thing just to have one BCBA. Um, second thing is this too, as far as for a behavior uh, analyst, school districts have to understand that when you hire a BCBA's job is specifically different from any other position. Like you can, you can legitimately in a small school district have one supervisor of special education. Right. You could have one supervisor or director of curriculum and instruction. You can have maybe one superintendent those jobs are overseers. They're more of a management position, making sure compliance, making sure that things are like reviewing data and, and looking at things that are being followed through. The job of a behavior analyst is to go out there and provide training. You're more hands-on. You're in direct contact with staff, potentially students, uh, looking at plans, reviewing the implementation of a plan, reviewing the fidelity of a plan, um, collecting data. So in a perfect world, yeah, behavior analyst job will be much more hands-on, but if if you really want it to uh, be the most effective position, you're going to need more BCBA. So that's one thing. So it's it's a totally different job. So to answer your question now, um, what would be the most e uh, the effective way to utilize a behavior analyst you buy yourself? I would the first thing I would do, and I just had this conversation with one of my um, one of my peers um, who, who's wonderful. Actually, is a BCBA in uh, the state of Ohio. Hmm is if you're going to be a BCBA and you're in a district isolated by yourself, the first thing you have to do is review, you want, you want to pair. That's what you do anything, right? You want to pair with your principals, you want to pair with your superintendent, with your cabinet or management team, your, your administrative team. Yeah. Then what you want to do is you want to really look at like, the tier system and looking at your school-wide positive behavioral supports, intervention and supports that you have in your PBISP. Look into that. Get with your data team. Review those things because it's, it's going to they're kind of going to look for you to do that as far as that, you know, school-wide tier one, they give you tier two, tier mm -hmm. three. Um, to look at that, review the data, ask a lot of questions, and then look at the system that you have in place. From there, when you're analyzing the system, you're going to look at things that are effective and then things that needs to be maybe ref refined, revised, tweaked, some addendums that need to occur. Um, and then from there, you can start identifying barriers because I think a lot of times too in schools, if, if schools are not run um, efficiently, what happens is a lot of the tier, because a lot of problem behaviors can be addressed in a strong tier one setting. You have a strong tier one when all the staff and there's, there's expectations that's being met and behaviors are aligned and reviewed um, with your school-wide, uh, you can reduce a lot of problem behaviors. Sometimes when you see a lot of issues that those things are not in place, and then mm -hmm. a lot of your core kids become now tier twos, which cause more counseling on one-on-one. -on -one. And then you have your tier threes that require a little bit more intensive support. So it's really um, looking at that tier one, if you can piece that up. And then from there, looking at reviewing the data and then going back to your team and just going over the data. The data has to be purposeful. You just can't like look at the data. It has to be a purposeful, a purposeful thing to do. Um, and to review and to look at and to examine and to analyze and say, what can we do better? 
Yeah, I like that. So just kind of like attacking it systematically, as any good BCBA would do. I think sometimes people can get really overwhelmed by those types of positions because you just feel isolated. And I think sometimes school districts are, it seems, at least in my area here in Ohio, are starting to employ a BCBA or a team of BCBAs. Um, And I think that that can be a really nice support for the school team because you know how it is when an outside consultant comes in. I teach like an ethics class here at Kent State for people becoming BCBAs. And I always say the BCBA is not coming in when things are going well and they're warm and fuzzy. School districts don't antecedently usually bring in a BCBA. It's when someone's been hurt or yeah, it's things are going very, very poorly. And then everybody on the team gets extremely defensive. So I have seen that it is nice when you have that person in-house. And I like how you're talking about the different tiers of intervention because sometimes that's what's hard. It's like you have to get all that kind of set into place. And if you do, um, then the BCBA can really shine and do the work that's most important for the kids who really need it and the staff that need that that type of support. Yeah, And, and, and honestly, depending on your school district, the size and and um, the level of intensity, you know, that data can be used also to advocate for more supports. And you may need more RBTs, you may need more BCBAs, right. you know. Get, and the one thing I always tell BCBAs, I had a conversation with one of my peers because um, they had they had asked the same question several weeks ago. You know, also looking at cost too, right? If you're going to be sending kids out of district, that's always going to be a higher cost for travel, transportation, the driver, yes. the school, the tuition, the related services. But if you get it, you get multiple BCBAs who are very, very um, have a, are very skilled and very competent in what they do, mm-hmm. and they're able to build capacity within your own school district. Mm-hmm. That can save you a lot of money instead of having um, send students for an alternative location and placement. You have enough BCBAs to house the students within your own school district. Not every student, but most of your students, and that yeah. can be a cost saver down the line if you could hire more strong, skilled. Uh, BCBAs who can train staff, train RBTs, train personal care assistants, one-on-ones, um, uh, special teachers, uh, anyone in coming in contact with students, th- that that could be a training model for that too. too. So some things to consider as well. Yeah, that's a good point. When I, I am from Ohio, but I lived in Austin, Texas for three years because of my husband's work, but I worked for this really cool district down there, Leander ISD. And we would bring, you might know her, Kelly Rich. She owns the Central Texas Autism Center. She does the Verbal Behavior Conference. So oh, yes. <laughs> she's really awesome. And she, only, she lives somewhere else now. She doesn't live in Texas. But she was on the show a little while ago. And um, she would come to our district. And they would have inter- they would have a whole day of Kelly for specialists and special education teachers. Like a whole day. They'd get subs for everybody. And this was like a whole year round thing. The training was unbelievable. Then we had her assistant come in and she would do training for other types of staff and parapros would get trained. It was just like the level of tiered training was really, it was unbelievable how many teachers were becoming BCBAs or are now BCBAs because they were really inspired by her trainings. And she was my supervisor, my BCBA supervisor. So, um, but I think that training component is, yeah, that's, that's important. Um, So do you think that, and I'm wondering, you know, if you work with in a place where there are many BCBAs, do you think that it's helpful for BCBAs that are working in a district to have like a mentor or to be able to meet regularly or have that PDE? I think that's what's hard too. Even sometimes as a speech therapist, even though the district I work in is really small, we have a lot of speech therapy needs. So there's quite a few speech therapists, but sometimes you can just feel like, 
hello, like you're like nothing really applies to you. Like you go to the the staff meeting, it may not really apply to you. Um, do you think that that it's important for BCBAs working in a school district to try to find other BCBAs to to meet with and just bounce ideas off of? Absolutely. Any any profession um, that that you're in and you are required to perform a certain duty or task, the best way is to have other folks who are in the same position to collaborate with, to bounce ideas off each other with. I always say sharpen iron, sharpen iron. That's just the way it is. You're going to have to have people to really uh, support you and bounce ideas off. Sometimes the BCBA, obviously, you know, you don't know every every answer and collaborate with other, other folks with different skill repertoires, different skill sets. Also, too, um, if there's information that you may not be aware of, maybe that BCB, that other behavior analyst um, or the other B- BCBAs that are present can assist in that. So I think it's very important to give a community. It's, it's definitely important to have a community of behavior analysts there to help support each other uh, throughout the day. And, so, and as far as a community, like you want to be like, I know, like you said, to your point, there's various speech therapists in your school district. So I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure your, school, your speech therapists are collaborating mm-hmm. a lot on a lot mm-hmm. of um questions they may have or any interventions they may have or looking at um, curriculum where you're looking at assessments uh, rather. Same thing with behavior analysts too, just having those ideas and, and working with each other. So I think it's very critical and it's needed too. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, okay. If you could share one piece of advice for people just entering the field, what would you share with them? What is a helpful tidbit? If you're uh, if you're a newly minted behavior analyst or aspiring behavior analyst, uh, I would highly recommend, number one, when you're a BCBA, you have to pair with your clients. When I say clients, that can be student, that can be parents, that can be administration. If you're in a school, regardless of the profession or what environment you're in, you have to make sure that you're pairing with them. Um, make yourself like an SD for reinforcement, right? Six, <laughs> you know, like a super duper SD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, historically, um, behavior analysts are viewed um, as individuals who know more or clinical and don't understand what we do here in special education with IEPs and being a teacher. But, you know, that that, that notion, that stigma, um, it, it sticks. And you want to make sure that you go around it and, and just let people know, like, no, I'm here to collaborate. My job's a collaborator. Behavior analysts, your job, and 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 this is number two, you have to understand what you're trained to do. You're trained to change behavior. So mm-hmm. shaping someone's responses and, you know, use and systems of reinforcement and understanding that like if you re-review the task list, all the behavioral, <laughs> the principles, using those principles to change behavior, staff behaviors, the, the adult behavior as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important that we do that so we can know that, you know, the same way you do in a functional behavioral assessment uh, that you're trained to do, the same way you should do that when you're paying with staff, like get all the information, you know, you're reviewing the records, um, uh, engaging, you're pairing, what are the parents and the teachers and the staff reinforces as well too, just like the student. Get that information so you can build a good rapport because people are more likely to be open and receptive towards any kind of behavioral change that you're that you're requesting, any kind of revisions to an intervention plan or any kind of new intervention, you get buy-in. And that's the and that's very important. So yeah, pairing with obviously the client and also just utilizing, you know, the principles. Um, and what you do, you're a behavior analyst. Your job is to make the change. And lastly, the uh, another thing too is just consistently and constantly um, seek professional uh, development from 
anywhere you can, uh, whether it's <laughs> virtual, in person, that mentorship you talked about earlier, um, make, you know, assign someone as a de facto mentor to you mm-hmm. to make sure that you are well, well trained because it's easy. There's not many behavior analysts in the world. There's only 63,000 behavior analysts in the world. Mm-hmm. 7 billion people There's only 63,000. Okay. <laughs> so you have to make sure that you you're out there and just finding folks who are like-minded, just, even if you're just talking mm-hmm. to, it could be virtual, not to be face-to-face and right. just stay connected with folks. So stay sharp to stay um, up on research, read, um, mm-hmm. go, go to um, a lot of journal articles. Um, just continue just to keep yourself uh, abreast on all the new trends and everything as well too. So that's my recommendation. I love that. And we definitely are trying to do, I started a membership in the fall, the ABA Speech Connection. So every single month we get together and we have an ASHA and ACE talk. And what we're starting in 2024, probably by the time this airs, is we're going to start doing journal article reviews where you'll get a CEU based on the words in the article. So you read the article and then we get together and we talk about it. And people really like that because a big part of my job is the training, is like going out, getting the article, getting the author on, you know, and all that great stuff. Um, But for people out in the field, especially with how stressed BCBAs are and how how big their workload is and speech therapists too. It's really hard if that's not a big part of your job to to peruse research. And so I'm trying to make that a little bit easier. I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for coming on. It was really great to meet you. And I hope I know you'll be in my neck of the woods for Ohaba. So hopefully, you know, we'll get to meet in person. I absolutely can't wait. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.